You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Thank you, Ms. Christine. Appreciate Brother John and Miss Christine. They are rarely seen on Sunday mornings here. They work with our uh, junior church kids and uh, grateful for them and their ministry and others that serve faithfully in those capacities. And uh, that's a great song, isn't it? Uh, imagine being there on that night and uh, seeing the holiness of God. It was a holy night, and we're going to talk about that today in Matthew 1. If you'll turn there, please, let's pick up our study we've been looking at. This is Christmas, the emphasis upon this and the fact that not only that Christmas and way back there, but this Christmas, God wants to manifest himself, his grace, his joy, his peace, and I trust that we will respond accordingly. Matthew chapter 1 today, and we'll begin in verse 18 in just a moment. Before we do that, uh, on the slide there, you'll see we're having this coming Friday, our Christmas Eve service, and excited about that. Uh, so Christmas Eve is on the 24th, if you missed that, so the 24th of January. Uh, we were joking, this, uh, one of our staff guys and I were talking, we put on our church sign, Christmas Eve, uh, December 24th, and they said, we might want to add service, because it's kind of like, duh, you know, of course, <laughs> Christmas Eve is on the 24th, so our Christmas Eve service uh, is on the 24th from 6.30 to about 7.30, and just a couple things of note for that, uh, that will be uh, candlelight worship, especially at the end, we'll, have, we'll light candles and sing together. Um, we also will be reading through the Christmas story uh, as recorded in Scripture chronologically, which is kind of a neat way to read it as we kind of bounce around in the Gospels to read it chronologically. So we'll have several reading Scripture that night. Uh, and then one of the neat things is we'll have all the kid, kiddos come down front, and Pastor Dave, our youth pastor, will read part of the Christmas story to them. So that's kind of a neat moment. Uh, and then also we will have something new this year, a backdrop for you to take family pictures if you want. Bring your phone have someone help you with that, but that'll be set up somewhere in the building. We'll figure out where best logistically to do that. But all that's going to go down this uh, Friday evening at 630. The community is welcome, and if we have to put out extra chairs, we'll do that. We'd love to have you and your family and the neighbors and friends with us this Friday at uh, 630. All right, Matthew chapter 1 today. Let's pick up, if you will, in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph... Before they were come together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people uh, from their sins. Now all notice this, this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken the prophet of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold a virgin shall be with child they shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So I want to continue our study today by looking at this, this statement, this Christmas is bigger than you. This Christmas is bigger than me. This Christmas is bigger than you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. 
Thank for the joy it is to assemble again on this last Sunday before Christmas and to prepare our hearts to allow you to temper and to check things that need to be recalibrated in our minds and hearts as we minister out your peace and joy and love to those around us as we seek to internalize whatever you're stirring and moving in us about again this year. And Father, we realize today as we step back and we evaluate not just the example of Joseph, but others in human history and in church history, those that were in step with you, those that um, you used mightily were those that got beyond themselves, those that realized there was a, a part they were to play, but the, the bigger play, the bigger plan was much bigger than them. And I pray that you would dwarf our ambition today, you would dwarf our selfishness, and that you would allow your glorious redemptive plan to eclipse our biggest dreams and desires, and that we would submit ourselves, we would subject ourselves to whatever part in that plan you would like us to play this year. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Um, I don't know if you've noticed uh, that there is something called the male ego. Any of you familiar with that, especially you ladies today? Um, it's fascinating to me how early in a boy's life that ego begins to manifest itself. Uh, if you were here this past Sunday night, we had our kids' Christmas program, and we had a couple of boys vying on this side of the stage to run the lights over the reading. So we had like a little podium, and then these little LED lights, and they wanted to turn them on turn them off and then change the pages. And there was a little bit of jockeying for who was the official. I don't think there were supposed to be anybody officially doing it, but a few were vying for that. Uh, I shared this with Heidi yesterday. I find this hilarious. This is a perfect example of it. Um, the story is told, it was the night of the children's Christmas play and little Johnny was upset because he didn't get the part of Joseph. Instead, he was assigned the innkeeper. Because he was still better, uh, bitter, when Joseph and Mary arrived at the inn, this is during the program, to ask if there was room, little Johnny threw the playoff by saying, sure, come on in. <laughs> Joseph, the story goes on, Joseph at first was taken aback, but then with quick wit, stepped inside the inn, looked around and said, this place is a dump. I'd rather stay in a barn. <laughs> Just, so hilarious. The, the, the male ego. Can I just say to you as we begin today, one of the things that strikes me every year, and I almost forget it by the time I get to the next Christmas, there are no recorded words of Joseph, not just in the Christmas story, but in all of Scripture. Uh, and I was reading an article the other day, the author said this, I play, he said this, I played a cow in my first grade Christmas pageant and had more lines than the kid who played Joseph. That was his assessment. And, and he said these, these words, which I think kind of lead us into our study today. Joseph was a prop, or so it seemed for Mary, the plastic doll in the manger, and the rest of us characters. There's rarely much room in the inn of the contemporary Christian imagination for Joseph. His only role, role, it seems, is an usher to get Mary to the stable in Bethlehem in the first place, and then get her back to the temple in Jerusalem in order to find the wandering 12 old Jesus, but there is much more uh, to the Joseph figure. And so today we want to spend a few minutes talking on that uh, very subject. And as we do so today, can I tell you the biggest hindrance often to fully absorbing all that God intends for this Christmas to be is we make it far too much about us. What I want and what I feel and what I'm bitter and hurt by or what I'm excited by 
are missing much of what God intends for us this year. So the question is this, in a day of self-absorption, even on a holy day, a holiday like Christmas, how do we, in contrast, allow God to expand our heart and vision to his bigger picture? Let's talk about two self-eclipsing realizations that Joseph had to come to terms with that you and I must do so if we're to experience this Christmas everything that our God uh, intends to accomplish. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about number one. We need a perception uh, that is greater than self. Number one, a perception uh, that is greater uh, than self. Perception that is greater uh, than self. If you go back to verse 18 in our text this morning, you will notice the word we've been highlighting in our study. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. And so we see that there was something going on beyond what Joseph could perceive. Now, I would just say this before we get to our story today, this text. Joseph did not know what was included at the end of verse 18. Like we read that and then it's almost like, come on, Joseph, get up to speed on the narrative. What we just read in verse 18, the end of verse 18, Joseph was not privy to that. His own perception had yet to include or to, be av- to have available to him this information that God was about to reveal to him. And may I say this as we begin today, there is much more going on this Christmas, listen to me, than you can pick up with your own senses. That's why we come back to this every year. God's got a plan. He's on the move in ways we can't even discern today. We have to come back to him and we have to let him reveal to us, just as Joseph needed, a fresh sense of what God is moving and working in. All right, so let's talk about a couple areas as it relates to perception that we need this Christmas that's greater than self. Number one, in your notes there in your bulletin, number one, see God's unprecedented means. So for us to have perception that's greater than self, we have to be willing to open our eyes to see God's (laughs) unprecedented means. Go back to verse 18. And we see this referenced in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother uh, his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. She, uh, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost in unprecedented means. Number one, a means with greater conception. God has at his disposable a way to bring about greater conception. Verse 18, the, I don't know if you've used on this wise, that phrase lately in your verbiage, but it has this idea, it took place in this way. Why is Matthew here recording and saying, listen, I need to stop for a minute and explain to you how Jesus was born? We'll go back to verse 16. Did you notice that in the genealogy? And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, the of whom is not a reference to Joseph, but Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so this was different than all the other A begat B and B begat C. This was a different means that God used to bring about the birth of his son. And at the end of verse 18, in the midst of this suspicion and scandal that now hung over Mary, uh, God was about to reveal to Joseph how he could work in a greater way. Now, in all of human history, let's be fair to Joseph and to those who would have been uh, Mary's peers and family. In all of human history, no one had ever had a child the way Mary was going to have a child. I think we're very careless sometimes in how we scrutinize or criticize these that did not understand, including Joseph. But it was unprecedented. And when these people saw this unwed mother with, uh, the, uh, that was pregnant, of course, they would have come to the only, quote, obvious conclusion. 
If you will, just this thought, and we'll move to verse 19. There is always more than you can see or understand in the new wrinkles or ways that God works this year in your life. And if God is before all, in the beginning of all, then we simply need to trust Him even when we can't understand something He's conceived, something He's doing that doesn't, there's no precedent for it. Am I willing to let God do something new uh, in my day? Heard this the other day on a business podcast I was listening to. Someone said this in, in reference to spiritual things. Sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who were on the cutting edge of what God did last. Isn't that convicting? And I'm not in any way saying we shut the Bible and we just start mystically floating our way into God's will. My point is just sometimes we get stuck on what is or what has been. When Christmas is not just to be meant to be on repeat, there's new things. There's new folks God wants to impact. Are you open to being used by God anew and afresh this year through a greater conception? All right, go to verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, all right, he doesn't know the end of verse 18 as we just referenced the context yet. He just knows that his espoused wife is now expecting, <laughs> excuse me, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. Number two, jot this down. Not only does God have an unprecedented means as it relates to greater conception, number two, greater resolution. Greater resolution of the challenges uh, that we face. In this setting and in this context, this culture, rather than making a public accusation of fornication, which would have possibly led to the full penalty or weight of the law on Mary... Um, Joseph resolved to use the, the divorce laws of the day, which were lax uh, in, in contrast with that of the Mosaic law. And so he determined to, to give her simply a writing of private divorce. And I think we see alluded to in verse, 18, in verse 19, the turmoil of Joseph, right? He had integrity, but he wanted to, to tenderly deal with this situation. And so we see the love, we see the compassion that Joseph is willing to express. And yet God here in verse 19 is about to reveal to Joseph a greater way to resolve this situation. May I remind us this morning, even our best intended solutions to the confusing, heart-wrenching aspects of this Christmas, whatever that is for your family, whatever that is for your life, those solutions pale in comparison to the options God has at his disposal. You do know that God, God in a moment can resolve the most challenging thing in the room today, right? And he can do it out, outside of what we feel is the best case scenario. He is not bound, as we see Joseph grappling with, the only option that he saw at his disposal. An authorized reading said this recently, the Christmas story reminds us, listen to these words, the Christmas story reminds us that hopelessness is the only doorway to true and eternal hope. And I would say Joseph probably was there in verse 19 and walking through that door of hopelessness. The author goes on, it is only when you give up on you that you seek and celebrate what God in holy love offers to you in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that hope isn't a thing, it's a person and his name is Emmanuel. God is doing more than we could dream. Are we willing to give up on hoping in us and what we can do and what we can conjure up and instead let God enter the story and do his perfect will? I say to you today by way of application, the only way for us to experience God's salvation in our world 
is to let him do it outside of the box of what we've limited him to. Whether that be our experiences, our observations, or even our preferences. Are we willing today to let go of those things and go all in on letting God do it his way? Joseph is going to be faced with that decision. All right, look at verse 20. So he's pondering these things, and in verse 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Number two, jot this down. So we need perception greater than self, first, that sees God's unprecedented means. Are we willing to be open to that? Number two, see God's required association. God's required association. Joseph had to choose, am I going to associate with this woman and what God is doing through her and all of the inconveniences and challenges uh, that go with that? Um, several years ago, <laughs> excuse me, several years ago, uh, for, I don't know, maybe five or six summers, we would go to Kennebunk, uh, Maine. And uh, my mother-in-law, uh, Cindy, her sister and husband had a place there in Maine. And so we would go there for a week or two in the summer. And uh, it's amazing how cold still the water was off the coast. Even, I mean, we're going in the dead of summer. Um, beautiful, went up to Acadia National Park and Mount Cadillac and and the sand is unique there. Just the, the, the coastline is not like Florida, and I mean that in a good way. It's just rugged um, and just a beautiful place to go. And so we went there for several years. And one of the things that happened while we were there, we noticed, is they were a bit more uh, stuffy on their trash disposal. I don't know if you've ever been in an area where, you know, you got to keep everything organized and they charge you per bag. Heidi knows, I think, where I'm going with this story. Um, so we were, this is one of the first years we went up there. We we're trying to get our head around that, what goes in which colored bag. And uh, we don't want to, you know, my Heidi's aunt to have to pay extra because we didn't handle the recycling right. And so we were going out of town. And so, you know, the last day, have you ever been on vacation? The last day you kind of just pick everything up and throw it in your car and go. And so we stopped to get gas. This was toward the end of our time. And I went in, we, I got gas. I went in to pay for it. And Moses, my father-in-law, he was trying to sneak into the trash receptacle, like on the island, one last bag of trash. So I'm standing like here, there's the glass, in front of the glass is the, the gas attendant lady, and then behind her over the shoulder is my father-in-law trying to like stuff this thing into the, the thing, you know, just to get rid of the last bag of trash. And I heard the two ladies, like they, they saw him, and they're like something to the effect, can you believe this guy, something like that? And I'm standing there deciding, do I associate with him or not? And I have to admit, I didn't say, yeah, can you believe this guy? But I also, I also didn't say, hey, that's my follow, back off. You know, I didn't do that either. Have you ever been in that situation where do I want to associate or not? Can I just tell you today, I don't think we can underestimate what it cost Joseph himself to associate with what God was doing and was choosing to do in his family. And I think in this room, there are some of us, we want God to work, but we're not willing to fully associate with what he's doing. And I dare you, I challenge you, I encourage you, you do the same to me, that we would be willing to associate fully with what God is doing uh, in our lives. And so Joseph here, you notice in verse uh, 19, he doesn't want to make her a public example but he has to go public. He has to be willing to associate with Mary and what God is doing through her 
in order to see God do a work uh, in his home. All right, let's talk about two things quickly that, that Joseph had to be willing to associate with. Number one, association with greater royalty. Did you notice the greeting? What does the angel say to Joseph? Go back to the text there in verse 20. Joseph, before he gets to anything else, notice how he addresses him, thou son of David. Isn't that interesting? And so the angel here at the bidding of the Lord is is reminding Joseph of his royal pedigree. This is basically the low ebb of the Davidic line. Um, it, It had almost been forgotten. It had almost been reduced to just the dusty bins of history. And the angel breathes new life into the promises of David that were to be passed on to his descendants. It was to bring back to mind the consciousness, the awareness of his royal pedigree, and to prepare him for Israel's king to come through his home. Though, David is in, or though Joseph is in humble circumstances, he's still heir uh, to the Davidic throne. And so this reminder of, of greater royalty and purpose of what God is doing. Let me bring that to our world for just a minute. Does it feel like to you today that the wrong people are the kings and queens of our world? The movers and shakers that are calling the shots and sitting, if you will, on the thrones and meeting out decisions and directives. Joseph, at this point, the world he's living in, his family and the promises of God could not have felt further away. Those who were in power. God here gently reminds Joseph and sets the table with this, uh, this reminder that God has not forgotten and that King Jesus is shortly to show up and his will is shortly to be done. Uh, hold your place there, Matthew. Would you go to Romans for just a moment? The same book, chapter 8, where we get our verse that we often quote, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. But go back earlier in chapter 8 of Romans to verse 16. And just want to remind you of our pedigree and our, our calling as the children of God. If you know Jesus as personal Savior, then this is true of you. Verse 16 of Romans 8, and the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, notice, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory uh, which shall be revealed in us. We are heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ. And if Jesus is king, then we have a place to to associate with. We have a responsibility to own our part uh, in his plan. I don't know if you ever had your child get in this mode of, I need a drink of water, like at three in the morning, you know, or whatever. I need another drink of water. The other day someone was using that analogy and they said this, listen to these words. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We, in the spiritual realm, we have that kind of access. I think a lot of our issue with God is we've forgotten our standing in Christ. We're not associating with God as beggars and losers and even sinners, though we are that outside of God's grace. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We're in his family. We have a right uh, through Jesus Christ to come boldly. Are we willing to associate with God with this greater royalty in mind? All right, go back to our text in Matthew 1. Look at the end of verse 20. So after this this title, this direct address, if you will, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Notice this, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Number two, jot this down, not only association with greater royalty, 
Number two, association with greater holiness. Greater holiness. Joseph had to have had his misgivings about marrying Mary and, and the suspicions around her purity. And, and yet God here says to her that her, or to him, his, her pregnancy is a miracle of the Holy Ghost. Just this reminder today, different, listen to me, different does not always mean defiled. I think sometimes new is bad and different is bad. And if we're not careful, we're missing out on opportunities where God is working. Different doesn't always equal defiled. And I remind you today that our holy God is not bound to the same set of laws and rules as everyone else. He made the rules. He made the norms. At any moment, he can suspend those to do his sovereign plan. Now, let me just put this into our context today, because I think if we're not careful, again, it's almost, come on, Joseph, get, get with the program. We know where this is headed. Imagine this scenario. Imagine for a moment that one of our teenage girls in our church was to stand up behind this pulpit and say to, to us something to this effect. She began to share her testimony that she led with, I'm eight months pregnant, pregnant and I'm unmarried. After a few minutes of talking about God's working in her life and about how excited she is to be a mother, she then concludes by saying she's grateful that she has remained sexually pure in her life. Can you imagine that? What would be in your mind? She's delusional or she's lying, right? Joseph had to be willing uh, to believe that something different could still be holy. It is of the Holy Ghost. And today, for you and I to fully associate with God, the one who wrote the original script of Christmas, means to associate this Christmas despite all the yeah rights, with God's plan and purpose. Here's the question. Where are you holding out on going all in on this statement? I'm with God no matter how he chooses to work in my life. Are we willing to see it bigger, have a greater perception than just ourselves? All right, number two, go to verse number 21. So first of all, perception greater than self. Now notice, if you will, verse 21 and she shall bring forth the son. Now this preview of Joseph's immediate future, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Notice this, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying. Number two, secondly, so perception greater than self. Number two, mission. Mission greater than self. Um, the other day I saw a Reader's Digest uh, <laughs> excuse me, submission by a grandma. She said this, while our great-granddaughters were getting ready for bed on Christmas Eve, Molly, one of the two, had a loose tooth that she wanted to pull. Addison, the other great-granddaughter, said, quote, don't you dare pull that tooth out tonight because the tooth fairy wants to be with her family. And then she concluded, Molly waited until Christmas to pull her tooth, just to give the tooth fairy a day off. And it's sweet to see in children now and then, at least when it's not about them, you know, and the kickback cash-wise they're going to get from the tooth fairy. Um, I think sometimes as it relates to Christmas, we forget that there's something bigger going on than just ourselves. And may I remind us today, the purpose of this year's Christmas, like everyone before it and after it, is about more of a mission, listen to me, more of a mission than giving you what you're dreaming for, of fulfilling some, some fantasy or making up for some wound in your life. He, he, God is doing more than just fulfilling wishes, wants, and dreams. He has a mission. 
Are you acutely aware of that mission? Are you in step with that mission? Can God use you and me today to be a part of that plan and purpose? I ask you this question today before we look at the text. Why are you going to celebrate Christmas this year? Why? Or why not? And if the why or the why not is not central, if it's not centered around God's plan and purpose, you will not please Him this Christmas. It's not about family. It's not about feelings. It's not about reminiscing. It's not about a fresh start. It's about Jesus, the gospel, and our part in that. Don't forget that as you enter into it this year. Mission greater than self. All right, notice now, Joseph, how this will impact his life and how it will ours as well. First of all, in verse 21 that we just read, jot this down, we need to submit to God's redemptive fulfillment. Submit ourselves to this mission of God's redemptive fulfillment. And notice in verse 21, first of all, he says, She shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Jesus. Notice this, for he shall save his people from their sins. Number one, jot this down, fulfillment with saving promise. God is going to save his people. It is a redemptive fulfillment. God is saving souls and saving hearts and saving lives. He's doing so through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 21, we see the, the child's gender. We see the child's name, and we see the child's mission all revealed there very quickly in verse 21 to Joseph. Mary would bear a son, and his name would be Jesus. Now, the name Jesus, if I were to ask you today, what does the name Jesus mean? Do you you know what the name Jesus means? It simply means this, Jehovah is salvation, or Jehovah the Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. And so here, by naming this child, by identifying him, God is saying that this child is Jehovah himself visiting his people to save them from their sins. I haven't had a chance to talk to the Weeses yet today, but Miss Katie posted a picture earlier this week. It was at night, and through the trees, you could see one of their neighbor's houses totally engulfed in flames. Saddest picture I've seen in the last few days at Kentucky. Some stuff that happened there a week or so ago. And she posted this a few days later. Many of us were tracking that story and praying uh, for that family. But she said this in one of the posts. Sadly, all we know is the coroner is there and has been there most of the day. And they're moving rubble with an excavator. Ambulances and fire trucks have been there all day. And who knows? I haven't yet talked to them about the details of that. But possibly someone didn't get out of that house. Can I just say to you today, our world's in a mess. It really is. It's it's unraveling before us. And if we're not careful, we're making this Christmas about us when God alone is offering a salvation to our world. It saves us not just bodily or economically or politically, saves our very soul, delivers us from the consequences of even our own sin. And, And so there's something bigger God's doing this Christmas than just your thing. There's a mission greater. He is saving people. He's fulfilling his promise to do so. And so we see here that like Zacharias with John the Baptist, remember Zacharias did not call John Zacharias, he called him John. There was a name given. It wasn't about Zacharias Jr. Here also it's not about Joseph Jr. There's something bigger God is doing in the family of Joseph. May remind us today that these that would be saved He shall save his people from their sins. I know the immediate context in Matthew there is the Jews, is the king of the Jews, but we also are the beneficiaries, are we not? We who are not Jews, who have been grafted in, that 
that promise is for us. Aren't you grateful that God was doing something bigger than Joseph could see? I think he would be shocked by this room, just this little assembly here today and countless others talking on him and reflecting on how God used him. There's something bigger God wants to do. And if we're not careful, we even come to church this morning and it's all about me. I've been hurt, I've been broken, I've been disappointed, or I got some great things coming up in the next few days. When God is thinking on a much bigger plane and purpose, and for us to see his power anew and afresh this Christmas, we must be open to just that. And if we're not careful, we make Christmas only about saving ourselves when God's trying to save the world with all of its big problems, which ultimately is an expression of immaturity. I heard this the other day. I thought this was good. Listen to these words. If we don't connect Bethlehem to Calvary, we will forever have a mere baby Christianity. Let's not be mature, immature this morning and make it about the cute little baby in the manger and the little kids and all the pranks and things that we kind of have tongue-in-cheek joked about today. Jesus came. He was born to die. He came to save today, if you're here and you've yet to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, that's the ultimate big deal kind of plan that God is after and He's a part of even again this Christmas. And if we today don't connect Wayne County, our own soul, and the souls of those around us to Calvary, we will never grow up into all that God wants to do that's bigger than just us. All right, go to verse 22. Now, all this was done. I love how Matthew puts kind of this interjection into the midst of the narrative Now, all this was done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew adds this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. So this is not the angel saying this to Joseph. This is now the narrator. This is the the one writing the book, giving us this additional information. Number two, so fulfillment of saving promise. Number two, fulfillment with prophetic accuracy. Fulfillment with prophetic accuracy. If we're not careful, we almost act like God's just kind of winging it and just kind of, well, he's kind of loosely, almost in a deist kind of way, letting the world just tick and run on its own. And now and then he interjects himself versus God is at the helm of every nuance and detail of human history. And we just celebrated Thanksgiving a few weeks ago. Feels like a while ago for me at least, but whatever that feels to you. I was reading about the origins of Thanksgiving I don't know if you know the background of the, of the day or not, but Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, called Americans to observe the last Thursday of November as the day of Thanksgiving and praise after the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863. So that's the origin of Thanksgiving. What I did not know until recently was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, tried to change it coming out of the Great Depression with the hopes, so he moved it from the last Thursday to the third Thursday of November. Here was his reason with hopes that an extra week of holiday shopping would help the economy. Does that sound familiar? Just <laughs> politics trying to just tweak things to, to help, help the economy, help whatever. Um, and according to uh, the Center for Legislative Archives, 16 of 48 states at the time declined to accept the change. So we have kind of the daylight savings thing. Some observe, some don't. Can you imagine that? Some states were observing Thanksgiving on the third Thursday and some the last Thursday of the month just kind of playing with the dates, playing with the observances. They remind us today that what we're facing and going through right now that's in our lives, listen to me, everything we're facing right now is not arbitrary. That comforts my very soul today, that the things going on in our world are a part of God's plan. 
Beloved, if we want to see God do something this Christmas, we have to be willing to first believe that what is a part of this Christmas is a part of his plan. And say, God, help me steward this conversation. Help me to lean into this relationship with all of its flaws and things that mar it and hinder it. Am I willing to own that where I'm at is a part of God's plan and purpose? And so God is prophetically accurate. And we see Matthew here in verse 22 recognize it. It's almost as if, here's the feel, Matthew is recording it and he realizes this is the fulfillment of what God had promised so long before. And the fulfillment would be from Isaiah 7 and verse 14 that's referenced in verse 23. But Matthew here, it's almost as if it dawns on him with the help of the Holy Spirit that this is the fulfillment of this prophecy, by the way, which was made over 700 years before Matthew chapter 1. 700 years between Isaiah 7 and Matthew chapter 1. God's precise fulfillment. Now look at verse 23, this specific promise, almost verbatim from Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. One thing that's interesting in the originals is that the word used in Isaiah 7, 14, that Hebrew word can be translated either young woman or virgin. Objectively, it can. Now, faithfully, our, our translation uh, translates it as virgin. But it's interesting, the Greek word used here in Matthew can only be translated virgin. Isn't that awesome how God's word provides commentary on God's word, comparing spiritual things with spiritual? God's very precise. And here we see in Matthew, he realizes there's something God's doing here. He's fulfilling his word and the preciseness of it. It means that God is with us. Um, do you ever catch yourself saying, I just wish God would show up? I do. Man, I just wish God would you know, enter this situation or he would do something or prove himself or reveal himself in some unmistakable way. You do realize today that much more is going on than the words of the critics. God's word is being fulfilled at this very moment. Everybody's got their thoughts and everybody's talking and chatting and giving their assessment. God's word is being fulfilled today. Are we living in light of that, not just someday in the future, but this day, this Christmas day? Pastor, I know, summarized Isaiah 9, 6. Remember the verse, his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. And he summarized it in this way, Isaiah 9, 6. Life is not dull because he is wonderful. Decisions can be made because he is counselor. Deficiencies are met because he is the mighty God. Dimensions of life are enjoyable because he is the everlasting father. Disruptions are pacified because he is the prince of peace. He is. Not just someday in the future or some distant place in the past. He is today those things. And so we live in light of that as we realize God is so precise in fulfilling his word. This question will move to our last point this morning. What, uh, would you allow God to give your life greater purpose by allowing him to fulfill his word through you, through you, through your family, and through your influence? And to do that, where do you need to unplug from man's words and perspective on your present circumstances this Christmas and instead dig into God's word? God, you made this Christmas. What's your word have to say about it? What's that mean for me? That's the way to steward this fulfillment of God. All right, now go to verse 24, and let's come back to now the story. Joseph had to walk this out. It's one thing to talk in idealistic terms or in theoretical 
kind of directions, but Joseph had to live this out, and so must we. Look at verse 24. So this ends, this dream that he received from the Lord in sleep. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Number two, jot this down, submit to God's personal sacrifice. So first of all, submit to God's redemptive fulfillment. Number two, submit to God's personal sacrifice. Um, You ever heard the expression before, dads have uh, pictures in their wallets where they used to have money? You know what I mean by that? Dads are just doling out, hey dad, I need this and I need this, and my boys are good about not hitting me up too often, but that's just part of being a dad. Um, a few weeks ago, Ian had his 16th birthday, and so I asked, we were talking about what he wanted to do. It's a special birthday, and he wanted to, he could choose between a couple of things, and he chose to go to a Buckeyes game. So we went, I've never been, went to the horseshoe and watched the Buckeyes play, was it Purdue, Ian? Purdue. And uh, we had gone to a men's conference that weekend, so we were at the men's conference Friday night in Mansfield, Saturday morning, and then the game was at three. So we were pushing it to get from Mansfield to Columbus. And uh, so we were running a little bit late. I wasn't feeling the greatest. I, I, was actually, I actually missed church that next day, not because of the Buckeyes game, okay? Some of, you saw me, some of you saw me post the picture like, yeah, sure, Pastor, you can't come to church. But um, I always joke about Super Bowl Sunday. If you skip church on Super Bowl Sunday, forget the excuse, okay? Just say I'm skipping, okay? Um, so anyway, I wasn't feeling the best. It was, it was cold that weekend, so probably colder than it's been recently here. Um, so I paid for the tickets, wasn't feeling well. We got there late. We actually had to park in a Kroger's parking lot that when we got out of the car, because all the parking decks were full by then, uh, we, we could only find parking at, at the Kroger's. And Ian pulled out his phone. I said, how long does it say till we get there? Google Maps, you know, the walk. He said 20, I think it was 26 minutes. So, and this was like 10 minutes before the game starts. And you want to get there for as much of it as you can so we're huffing and puffing, we get there and we enjoy the game. But all that, all that it cost me was worth it as I watched out of the corner of my eye, him just eating up the game, cheering along, and we, we blew out Purdue. It was a fun game to watch. But it was worth those sacrifices, which really aren't much of a sacrifice, for my boy to enjoy that game, his 16th birthday. Can I tell you today as it relates to the moments you yearn for God to have with God, where you want God and you to just have that sweet moment together? Any of those moments you have with him cost him dearly to give us his son, to deposit his spirit within us, to give us the word of God. And listen to me, it also has to cost you, and it has to cost me. Joseph paid dearly to have God, listen to me, literally to hold God in his arms, to have God come near to him. It cost him deeply. It cost him greatly. And so for you and I to this Christmas experience all that God wants, we have to submit to the personal sacrifices that he asks of us. Let me ask you a question before we look at Joseph's example. What comes to mind when you think of Christmas? When you hear the word Christmas, here's your two options, getting or giving. Which is the mantra in your head? When you hear Christmas, what comes to your mind? Is it more about getting or is it this is going to cost me? I'm going to have to give more of myself. That's probably where you're missing if you're missing today, this Christmas, all that God intends. And so step out of yourself, lean into the sacrifice that God has called you. Um, I'm excited about, and I've been talking about it already with our leadership team, but I would invite you to be with us the second Sunday of January 
or we're going to, we call it Vision Sunday. We'll be talking about new initiatives in our church for the new year. And this next year, our theme is going to involve being disciples and, and the extra oomph and requirements that are part of that. And I'm excited to see you lean into that with me as we all grow together in our walk with Christ. But I read this statement the other day. Listen to these words. One author said this, the biggest threat to the church today, and I don't know what you would write after that in the blank, the biggest church uh, threat to the church today is, what would you put? He said this, Christians who call themselves Christians, but who are not actually interested in following Christ. Listen to this. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Benefits without requirements. And that's where we're leaking, and that's where we're missing uh, what God longs to put and deposit into our lives. All right, let's talk about a couple of things quickly as it relates to Joseph. First of all, number one, jot this down, a sacrifice of public reputation. Joseph, in verse 24, what he did publicly cost him greatly, a sacrifice of public reputation. A sacrifice of public reputation. As soon as Joseph awakes, notice he doesn't delay, he doesn't deflect, he obeys. He violates every, violates every custom of the day and immediately takes Mary into his home, probably looking out for her. She's already now expecting, probably ostracized. We don't, one of the things that's fascinating to me would be how did Mary's parents respond? Um, how did her, her peers, her classmates, if you will? We don't know. But I would say probably the fact Joseph did what he did partly indicates at least some of the vibes that Mary was getting. And so he looks out for her even at the expense of his own personal reputation. The one who earlier is described as being a devout man and one who is, is a just man, he's trying to do what's right, and now he does that which feels and looks like it is the exact opposite. Sacrifice of public reputation. There would be misunderstanding in the community. There would be much gossip at the community well. But Joseph knew this was God's will for his life. And so whatever it cost him publicly, he was willing to do what God had called him to do. Where is that caliber of Christian in our day? So Joseph ends the period of betrothal, takes Mary into his home, so that Jesus could be the legitimate heir to the Davidic throne. There was more going on than just what met the eye. Joseph was willing to do just that. Go to John, would you, for a moment. Later this comes up again, this reputation that Joseph, I think even after his death, was still swirling around Jesus and his family. On chapter 8, you're probably familiar with this, but just this one little kind of sad verse that plagued his family moving forward. Jesus is in the midst of, he's on the Mount of Olives, and he gets into this discussion with his counterparts, the Pharisees. And in verse number 41... Notice the account here. John says, you do, de- you do the deeds of your father. This is what Jesus says to them. They said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. We're talking 33 years later, 30 plus years later. This is still lingering, this shadow over the family of Joseph. And the syntax here, the structure of the, of the phrasing here has this idea. Puts the emphasis on we. We have one father. And basically, here it is. I can't think of how to put it less bluntly. We're not bastards is basically the language here. That's the feel. And so Joseph, 
we, we would guess probably is no longer actively a part of the family. He's deceased likely at this point in Jesus' public ministry, but still the shadow is there. It's, it's been fed, it's been fueled, it's sustained, and Joseph is still, uh, his, his reputation is being besmirched even during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Joseph was willing to sacrifice public reputation. One author I was reading said this, when, we, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? See, we want God's presence and power in our life, but we want it in an easy place where we can do safe things. Those have rarely tracked together. Are you willing to risk it all to see God do something in your life, especially your reputation? Even in this assembly, are you willing to do God's will and make those personal sacrifices. All right, go back to our text and let's end in verse 25. So Joseph takes her, notice now in verse 25, as if that were not enough, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Lastly, jot this down, the sacrifice of anticipated intimacy. The sacrifice of anticipated intimacy. Do you think that this is how Joseph had dreamed his honeymoon would go? Um, just, I'm talking very frankly here or directly this morning. Can you imagine going on a honeymoon with your wife already being pregnant and all that affected and, and all the things that go with that, again, in our context to help you probably process this as they would go out for dinner in the evening. Oh, you just got married and your wife is already pregnant. Uh, just those, those things, both reputation and then his own challenges and his own heart. Um, nowhere do we see God instructing Joseph to do what he did or abstain from in verse 25, the consummation of the marriage physically. But Joseph heard virgin and went conscious, conscientiously above and beyond to honor God with what had just been told him. Isn't that fascinating? He didn't do the bare minimum. He did exactly the best that he could for the Lord and his plan. One commentary I was reading, commentator I was reading said this, as things turned out, Joseph's fears were justified. Life wasn't as comfortable as it had been. He took cold showers for nine months so the baby could be born of a virgin. He had to push away the sheep and clear out the cow patties so his wife could have a place to give birth. He became a fugitive of the law, and this is one I hadn't thought of. He spent two years trying to learn Egyptian. He was on the run. He was sacrificing. He, it deeply cost him, and he gave all that up willingly so that God's will could be done in his family in his day for the glory and honor of God. See, Christmas comes with a cost. You and I cannot fully celebrate and enter into Christmas from a place of convenience and comfort. Here's the question, what sacrifice is God leading you to make this year to a mission that's bigger than you? What's the sacrifice? I would encourage you to reflect on this sermon this afternoon. What is that? Write it down. What is the sacrifice? You cannot celebrate Christmas fully from a place of convenience and comfort. It must cost you. It must cost me. All right, let's end today in Colossians. Would you go there for a moment, chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Colossians chapter number 1, and let's begin in verse 16. As you're turning there, one author put it poetically, this idea of Joseph and what he had to grapple with. As we read at the beginning of Matthew, the family tree, you know what I mean by family tree? We talk, what's your family tree? And we usually joke about there's a few black sheep on it or whatever. We have those running jokes. 
But one author said this as you're turning there to Colossians 1, Joseph was perched firmly on his branch in the tree, was thick, reliable, and perfect for sitting. It was so strong that he didn't tremble when the storms came, nor did did he shake when the winds blew. No, this branch was predictable and solid, and Joseph had no intention of leaving it. That is, until he was told to go out on a limb. As he sat securely on his branch, he looked at the limb God wanted him to climb. He never seen one so thin. He inched back a bit and leaned against the trunk and pondered the situation. Common sense told him not to go out on the limb. Conceived of the Holy Spirit? Come on. Self-defense told him not to do it. Who will believe me? What will our families think? Convenience told him not to do it. Just when I was hoping to settle down and raise a family. Pride told him not to do it. If she expects me to buy a tail like that. But God had told him to do it. And that's what bothered him. At times that limb must have bounded furiously in the wind, but you can be sure of one thing, he never regretted it. Sweet was the reward of his courage. One look in the face of that heavenly toddler, and he knew he would do it again in a heartbeat. Have you ever been called out on a limb for God? You can bet it won't be easy. Limb climbing has never been easy. Ask Joseph. Or better yet, ask Jesus. He knows better than anyone the cost of hanging on a tree. Now, why did Jesus pay that cost? Not just Joseph, but let's talk about not Joseph, just his sacrifice, but that of his his adopted son, Jesus. Why did he sacrifice all that? Look at verse 16. For by him, this is a reference now to Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, of the, fir- uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, not Joseph, but the Father God, that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things... Uh, in earth or things in heaven, and you, verse 21, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In my Bible, I have every one of those all circled. I think there's nine of them there, eight or nine of them. Can I remind us today that there's something bigger God is doing, and Colossians remind us of that, and the all is you and me. We're included in what God's done. We're included in what God is doing. There's something bigger that God wants to do. As we finish today this thought, (laughs) I read this the other day, someone said, when we are foolish, we want to conquer the world. When we are wise, we want to conquer ourselves. We want to conquer ourselves. And here's what I would submit to you as we finish. Here's the reason why every Christmas we get more jaded and bitter and disillusioned if we're not careful. Because we've tried to conquer the world. And every year we realize more and more how futile that effort is. When God this Christmas wants to conquer our will, ourselves, so that he might then use that for his plan and his purpose. Here's the question. Will you allow God to convince you this Christmas that you have access to perception greater than self and a mission greater than self? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.